Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to South Bend City Church. My name is Ryan. Uh, Jason actually is still in Israel right now, which is really great. Uh, so I'm excited to be here with you, and I'm excited for when he gets back, uh, just for all the perspective that he's gaining. I'm excited to learn from him, uh, from, from the, um, yeah, the experiences he's having in this time. So uh, if we haven't met, I would love the opportunity to meet you, so please introduce yourself to me afterwards. Uh, but the one thing I want you to know, first and foremost, is that uh, coming here into this place, into this group tonight, especially if this is your first time, you may have all sorts of feelings uh, that are coming with you tonight. Uh, you may have all sorts of questions about whether it's okay for you to be here, whether you can fully be yourself here, whether you can fully be comfortable here. And maybe that's things you believe about yourself uh, that leads to those questions. Maybe that's things you believe about us that leads to those questions about whether, uh, about whether you could ever feel safe here. But I want to encourage you that uh, we are so thankful for you, and we're so honored to have you here with us, whatever your story is. So hopefully you can find this to be a safe place for you that's full of grace and peace. All right. Uh, so diving into teaching, uh, it's been a little bit for me, so I was excited to get back into it. On some level, normally when I start teaching, whatever topic I'm talking about, I try and start with something humorous just to get you guys to like, like me again, you know, <laughs> like, or, or find me relatable or something. I don't know. Uh, but we've been doing this long enough that I feel like you guys are family now. So I feel like I can just dive in and be honest with you and tell you that right now, like in life, I'm just not feeling a lot of humor. Uh, I'm feeling exhausted. I'm feeling like life is really heavy. I don't know if you knew this, but there's like an election coming up. I, I don't know if it like got on your radar at, our, at all, but there's that. But it's not just that. Like it's, it's, it's paying the bills and raising kids and like all that just day-to-day -day stuff, like it's exhausting, right? And then you do have like the election coming up on top of that, right? And you can't watch a football game or the World Series without having an ad every five minutes like spewing all sorts of negativity, right? And you're just becoming aware of that. And then you log on to social media and you're seeing all the interactions going on there and it's just even more toxic and depressing and hopeless, this is really inspirational, right? This is what you guys are looking for. Um, yeah, you have all that, and then you have the events of the past week, right, with all the violence and the bombings and shootings and everything, and you just get to a point where, uh, especially for me, my personality is wired for, for values are what drive me, and justice uh, is kind of that core value, and so I just hit this point where it's just so heavy, it's hard to see much goodness in that. Anybody? Feel that? Anybody resonate there? Yeah, and, and I was thinking about that and just trying to process that and then realizing that I'm feeling that. But also, as I look at my life, I have a lot going for me, right? I have an education that I can like rely on. I have a full-time job, which is significant. Did you know this? Did you know that if you have a full-time job, if you have a, a full-time job in Indiana making what an average Indiana teacher makes, the average teacher salary in Indiana, that you are in the 99.7% of wealthiest wage earners on the entire planet at the average teacher salary. So give, just given that I have a full-time job means that I'm in this super elite class as far as resources available to me relative to the rest of the planet. And I look at my life, and, and I don't have obstacles just based on who I am. Based on my skin color, there's no obstacles inherently 
experience that I experience based on my gender, based on my sexuality, based on my religion or my nationality here in, in the United States. Like none of those things become obstacles for me thriving and having success around me. And so I'm feeling the way I am and it just makes me step back and think if I'm feeling the way I am, I can't imagine how people are feeling that have any one or more of those obstacles that I don't have to deal with, that they might. I can't imagine what it's like for our Jewish neighbors to feel what they're feeling after what happened in Pittsburgh. I can't imagine what it's like for all of you women uh, in the climate in the United States with all the sexual assault going on and then even feeling like there's uh, retribution just for trying to talk about it or share about it when you've gone through it. I can't imagine what that's like for our LGBT neighbors uh, who faced persecution sometimes from others who two years ago after the Pulse uh, nightclub massacre, the fear that was being felt there. I can't imagine what it's like to be the people whose country are torn apart by war and they're either stuck there in fear day in and day out, dealing with that and living with that, or they're fleeing and just trying to find some peace and some freedom and some goodness out there in the world without a lot of hope before them. If I'm feeling this heavy, what must it be like for them? And it was just a week ago, um, I came home and I ended up having this interaction with my neighbor. She had uh, fallen through her window on the front of her house, uh, like fallen into it, broke the window right as I pulled up. Uh, the girls were saying, hey, we should go check. And I was like, no, oh, maybe, you know, she might be embarrassing, you know, don't want to don't get involved, you know, like maybe she's having a bad day or whatnot. So we just went in the house. Well, later she came and knocked on the door and she ended up telling us uh, that what had happened was that she, she, she rents the house and she has bees in her house, bees in the walls of her house that her landlord won't take care of. This is a landlord we've had consistent problems with over the last couple years. And I was so furious in talking about this. We've got to do something. My justice side is welling up in me. And then she, she goes on and starts talking about what the last couple weeks have been for her because things got really cold and the heat broke in the house. She's got five kids all under the age of 11. Right? The heat broke in the house and they're there just trying to stay warm together. Well, the heat was broken for two days and then they, they got the heat fixed, which is great, but the heat being fixed means that now there is heat that works in one room in the house, that there's one room, and that's the fixed state, right, is that, is that, that what's going on. And in fact, there's, uh, in the other rooms where the heat doesn't go to, there's still vents there, but the vents don't have vent caps on there anymore, and the last week her daughter fell into one of the vents and got her leg stuck and the fire department had to come and extract her from the vents, and I'm hearing about her week, and I'm getting so upset, so furious, and I was like, we've got to do something about this. This is not right, this cannot stand. You know, let's, let's report your landlord, Let, let's take this to whatever level it needs to go. Uh, but the problem that she communicated to me was that uh, she's been with this landlord for a period of time, and the landlord does what I've seen her do with the two previous uh, neighbors that live next door to me, is she shows just enough grace to accumulate a little bit of blackmail 
uh, to the people living there. And so my neighbor said, if I go and I try and report her for what she's doing, she's going to go and report the things that I've broken or my children have broken over time that I can't afford to pay for and I'm going to lose all of my rental assistance by, being a, by coming forward in this situation. And I was even more furious. It's like, this cannot be, this cannot be this way. We have got to figure out a way to do something. She said, you know what, Ryan? She said, what I've learned is I've learned I can't really worry about it. I can't really worry about what's next. I can't really worry about what's coming ahead. She said, all I know is right now, I have all my kids with me. And all of us are healthy. And all of us are together. And I know that God is with me. And as long as those things are true, then I can't really worry about what's coming next. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, like, she's living in some different world than I'm living in. But what I realized is the world that she was describing is a world deeper than the world I see with my eyes. She was seeing something deeper something more wise, something more grounded, something more freeing that even the circumstances of the world couldn't fully touch. What she was talking about, tapping into, was the kingdom of God, that she was finding some depth and some meaning and seeing herself as a part of the kingdom of God. I'm thankful that I had this conversation in this time because it's sharpening to me. It, it changes me having these conversations. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach because when I have the opportunity to preach, actually what happens is God sends stuff like this into my life and uh, I end up spending two weeks like having to work on myself and like work through all of this stuff. And what I needed in the midst of the things I've been feeling, what I needed more than anything is I needed to be able to refocus on the goodness of the kingdom of God. So tonight we're talking about the kingdom of God and we've been talking about kingdom pictures and practices of the kingdom of God. And the pictures that we're looking at tonight uh, were exactly what I needed to find a little more hope in the world before me. All right, so the first picture that we're gonna look at tonight of the kingdom of God is the picture of the kingdom of God. That's it. The, like, the description is the picture. The kingdom of God is the picture we're looking at. The kingdom of God, you could say, the kingdom of God is like a kingdom of God, right? That's deep, right? Mind blown, right? So when Jesus is doing this thing, when Jesus is talking about this thing that's coming into the world, he's using the language, he's using the description, he's using the pictures of a kingdom. Okay, now the people of that day would have known all about kingdoms, right? For us today in 2018 in America, like kingdoms aren't really a part of our like language that we use very often, but they would have known all about kings and kingdoms and empires and emperors, Right, the people then were living in the Roman Empire, uh, so they had Caesar who was ruling all over everything, and then there was these smaller kingdoms divided up around them. At one point, uh, they had the kingdom of the Jews, which was headed by King Herod, who was a king who kind of oversaw the area, and then his descendants kind of had, had their own territory. So they would have understood this idea of kingdom. It would have been something very familiar to them. So the interesting thing is if you're starting to do something new, and when you're doing this new thing, if you bring language to the table that is already language that is familiar to people, okay, that language that's already familiar to people, the, the, the new language you're using that reflects what's already going on will always be seen 
uh, as a comparison or critique to that thing that's already there, right? If there's already an established concept and you start to use the same words, it will be seen as a, uh, as a critique of the thing that's already going. So let's take this example, college football, right? Any college football fans? Couple, all right. More Sunday, more Sunday college football. All right, that's, that's all right. Uh, so in college football, uh, one of the teams that's the best every year, painstakingly and sicking, sickeningly so, is Alabama. Uh, Alabama is a crimson tide, and uh, they're good every year, and their fans cheer on their team. They have the slogan, and they shout out Roll Tide all the time, right? That's like their go team. It's Roll Tide, and that's how they cheer for their team. And it's really annoying, again, because they win all the time, and so for everybody else's fans, when you have to hear them shout Roll Tide, it's just obnoxious, right? But let's say you're not aware of that, and let's say you're just going on a trip down to Alabama, uh, and you're, you like Notre Dame, because you're from around here, and you want to r- relate to the locals, right? So you want these passionate local people who love their football to know that you also love college football just like they do. So you go down there, and you say to them, roll Irish, that's not going to go very well, right? Because they won't see that as you expressing this, uh, this interesting fascination with your own college football team. They will see that as you uh, putting down or slamming their passion for their own football team, right? If you use the same language, it's going to be seen as a critique. Here's another example. This one's uh, a little more complicated, but it's a conversation I had with family actually in the last year. Okay, a couple years ago through uh, events going on in our country, there ended up starting the movement that was the Black Lives Matter movement, right? That was pointing out the fact uh, that there wasn't always uh, justice and representation uh, that people of color experience in the world, right? So this movement, Black Lives Matter, started. Well, later movements started. Uh, You had the Blue Lives Matter movement that started, right? And that was about understanding that Uh, there needed to be gratitude shown to police officers and appreciation shown for the sacrifices that police officers make, right? And then there was another movement that was All Lives Matter, which was trying to recognize that everybody's life, no matter what, does indeed matter. Well, each of those things taken individually, uh, I can get behind, and each of those things are true. Black lives matter. Police officers matter. Everybody, all lives matter. But the fact that the second two movements use the exact same language as the first movement mean that the second two movements express a critique of that first movement. So you can't say blue lives matter without it also being a critique of the original statement of black lives matter. You can't say all lives matter without it being a critique of the original statement that black lives matter, right? Language doesn't exist in a vacuum. The language we have goes along with other language that comes before it, right? So if you're trying to express those other things, if you're trying to express support for police officers, that's that's a valid ambition. If you're trying to express support that everybody matters, also a valid goal, we just need to find different language for that, right? Unless you're also trying to criticize the idea that black lives matter. So maybe uh, support your local police would be a great way of saying that, or everyone an icon would be, would be a good way of talking about those concepts, right? So there are other ways to talk about those things that don't bring the baggage that using the same language does that critiques the thing that came first. Is that clear? We good? Okay, so when Jesus comes into the picture and he starts to use this language of kingdom, 
when there's already kings and kingdoms and emperors that exist, it's going to be heard by everybody as a critique of the empires and kings and kingdoms that are already there, right? And I don't know if you would know this about uh, kings and stuff, but they probably wouldn't like somebody else coming into the picture talking about starting new kingdoms in their backyard, right? That's probably not going to go very well for them. So you probably don't want to do that and come across like you're criticizing the king and kingdoms and empires unless you're actually trying to criticize the kings and kingdoms and empires. Does that make sense? So what we can see from this is what Jesus is doing coming into the world, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God coming and when Paul in Philippians 3 tells us that we should consider ourselves to be citizens of the kingdom of God. What we can see from this is they are talking about something that is different than the political world that already exists. They are bringing something new to the table. They are bringing something new that's different, that's a critique to the way that the world has already worked. It's a different kingdom. Now, they, that may seem obvious, right? If you're talking about one kingdom, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of Herod or the empire of Rome. That may seem obvious, but that's not all, it's not always so obvious in how we act, right? Because if I'm honest with myself, there's been large portions of my life where I have seen the kingdom of God as just the world as it is, only a little better, right? I've seen the kingdom of God as like my world, you know, the United States, because that's all I've known. The United States plus like a little more winning, maybe a little less losing, you know, the United States plus more prayer or plus more uh, meditation, you know. Uh, the United States, but with more Christians leading the government, you know, if it just gets a little more of this. Basically, I have spent my life uh, and my upbringing was spent seeing the kingdom of God as uh, this world with Jesus sprinkles on top, right? You're just gonna take things as they are and make it a little better, throw a little bit of Jesus on there and, and, then, and then take that new package. And we've done that a lot. If you look at what the church in this country looks like, too often it looks like just the way the world normally works with a little more Jesus there with a little more Jesus added in. And that works sometimes for some people, maybe. You know, for people like me, again, that have all these advantages that I have, like that can seem like it works for a time. But like for my neighbor, it doesn't produce the same results, right? No matter what happens in this next election, she's probably going to face great challenges still ahead. There's something different in her experience than there is in my experience. And that's why it's important for us to realize that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something deeper and more freeing and more grounding than anything we have in the world. It's not the world plus a little bit of Jesus on top because the kingdom of God is entirely Jesus. Now, I have one disclaimer I wanna throw in here. And that's this. Sometimes people have taken this talk of kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, and what they've done is they've separated these two things like way apart, right? And so the kingdom of God uh, is over here and the kingdom of the world is over there, right? And the kingdom of God is just that stuff that happens inside of our hearts, right? And so 
uh, the kingdom of the world, is all those things that are going on out there. And, and what these people have said is, as people who are citizens of the kingdom of God, what we should do is we should separate ourselves from the way the world is working. And we don't need to worry about what's going on. We don't need to worry about how people are treated. We don't need to worry about the circumstances of the world or the problems going on around us because all we need to do is worry about the kingdom of God, which they would say is just the experience and the hearts of humanity. But I wanna point out that Jesus rejects that. That all throughout the teachings and life of Jesus, we see a Jesus who is very much concerned with the experiences of people in the world especially those who are most vulnerable. Jesus is always on the lookout for those who are hurting. So we have these two kingdoms, but these two kingdoms are definitely different from each other, but they are different, but they are not detached from each other. It's not about separa uh, separation, but about prioritization. What Jesus wants us to know is the difference in these kingdoms uh, means that we see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God and our groundedness in the kingdom of God informs how we interact with the kingdoms of this world. It becomes the deeper priority. The kingdom of God is like the foundation on which the house is built. The kingdom of God determines how we interact with and what the rest of the picture looks like for us. It's not one versus the other. It's not leaving the world and our interactions with it for the sake of some uh, heavenly experience. It's about how we approach the world through the lens of Jesus. The kingdom of God is different but not detached. There's a second picture I want us to look at tonight. The second picture is of yeast. It's of yeast. Now this comes from a story in Mark chapter eight. Uh, and to set up this story, Jesus has, uh, he's with the disciples and he's just finished the feeding of the 4,000, right? So there is 4,000 people, not to be confused with the feeding of the 5,000, which is almost the exact same, but with more people, right? <laughs> So this is the feeding of the 4,000, and uh, what happened is that Jesus was teaching, and all these people showed up, and the people got hungry, and the people got cranky, and they didn't have food to feed them, and so Jesus ended up taking a small amount of loaves of bread and multiplying that into enough bread to feed everybody with leftovers, right? That's the story. So that's where we are when it comes to the story with the disciples. And I love this because I really relate to the disciples uh, and just the confusion that they, <laughs> that they experience when they have these conversations with Jesus who seems so frustrated by them at times. All right, here we go. Mark chapter eight, 14 through 21. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you even remember? When I just broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces of bread did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And that's the end of the story, actually, right there. 
In, in the Matthew version, it does let us know that they did understand. So Matthew gives, he's like, I don't want to make this look all that bad. So uh, Matthew says that they ended up understanding that Jesus was criticizing the influence of the Pharisees and the politicians. So yeast is something interesting. Um, we know that yeast is how bread is made, right? And we know exactly what's going on in that process uh, because we have microscopes, right? Thank you, microscopes. And we know it because Louis Pasteur in 1860, I looked it up, used that microscope to look at yeast and figure out what they were and figure out that yeast are microorganisms that get into, you put it into the dough and the, the yeast eats the sugar in the dough and then it excretes uh, carbon dioxide, which is a gas, which ends up putting gas bubbles in the dough, which ends up expanding the bread and making the bread rise, right? We know that. They didn't have microscopes, right? They didn't. So all they knew was that yeast is how the bread gets made, right? You have your bread and it, it, you have your dough and then you add the yeast and then this magic stuff happens and then it's bigger, right? Yeast is just how the bread gets made. Yeast is how stuff gets done. So in this story, Jesus is talking to them and he's saying, hey, you remember that stuff that happened back there? How did stuff get done? I got stuff done. I got stuff done. Jesus did it, guys. Right? But then what he does is he says, hey, I recognize that in that situation where people were angry at you, you had a problem, you needed a solution, you needed stuff to get done, I recognize that there would have been a temptation to do things in different ways than I did them. There would have been different ways of making the bread. And he's telling them that Herod, the king, the politician, the way the world works through power and through politics and through manipulation, he has a way that he gets things done. And it might have been tempting when you go through life, it might be tempting to make the bread like Herod does. He also recognized, I recognize that the Pharisees, the super religious leaders who have all sorts of rules and expectations, they have ways they think the bread should get made. They have ways they go about getting stuff done. Be careful about getting stuff done the way the Pharisees get stuff done. It's not just about yeast, it's about how we get stuff done. What he's saying is this, that not only is the kingdom of God different, but it is pursued through different methods. It's not just that it's a different destination, it's pursued through an entirely different journey. What, what he's recognizing is our human temptation sometimes to say the ends justify the means. The results that we're shooting for justify the methods. Right? If we're honest, that's something that we see in our world, that we trick ourselves into thinking that as long as we're trying to accomplish something good, it doesn't really matter how we go about doing that. Right, And so we can do some things that may be a little shady, may be a little questionable, as long as we're trying to do something good in the end. But Jesus is saying, be careful how you make the bread. We see this throughout church history. You had the Roman emperor Constantine 
who is the emperor, uh, Constantine the Great, emperor of the entire Roman Empire who was taking over the entire world at that time. And Constantine converted to Christianity. And when he did, he took Christianity from this uh, fringe, marginalized, outcast, persecuted group that's on the outside. And suddenly this people group that was on the outside, now their guy, their guy was in charge. So they went from being on the outside to now being in these positions of privilege and honor and power. And Constantine put in Christian rules and Christian laws throughout the entire land. And so for the Christian people back then, how must they have thought about going from this persecuted outsiders to now having all the power that they could have ever hoped for? Right? You have the emperor who's taken over the entire world, who now puts Christian laws into, into play for the entire world. So now you have what? You have the kingdom of God over the entire earth. Job well done, right? No, that wasn't it. Because you can't get to the kingdom of God through ways that don't look like Jesus' ways. You can't make the bread with yeast that's different than Jesus's, right? And I think we can all say, yeah, like war's probably a step too far, <laughs> you know? We shouldn't go to war to spread Christianity. But like, if we're honest with ourselves, there's ways that this comes up in our lives, right? There's ways in which we ourselves are comfortable getting stuff done in ways that aren't really Jesus' ways. I think about myself on social media sometimes, right? Sometimes how I interact with others. And sometimes I, I find myself saying, like, if I just get to zinger in there with this one person, right, like, we'll probably not be cool for a while. But, like, all the other people watching it, they're going to, like, learn. And they're going to be convinced, right? And I will convince the 10 over here, and I may really offend and hurt this one person here, but at least I've gotten somewhere, right? I've done it. I've made the bread. It's easy to do that. It's easy to see in how we relate to power sometimes, right? If we can just get our guy, if we can just get our guy into office, if we can just get there, then everything will be all right, right? Or if we can get our guy in there and we can just get this one thing done, yeah, maybe these five or six or 500 other bad things happen, but if we can get this one thing done, then we've accomplished it. We've gotten there. And we get so obsessed with the, the destination that we realize that you can't get to kingdom of God ends from different paths than Jesus' paths. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. See, that's not destination language. That's not places you go language. That's journey language. That's path talk. It's about what are you doing? How are you getting there? Where are you going and how? And the interesting thing is Jesus' uh, first followers, before they were even known as Christians, they were known as followers of the way. Because even the people in the world around them the people that were not following Jesus saw that these people just lived differently. It wasn't about what they were accomplishing. It wasn't about where they were going. 
It was merely about how they were living, and they lived differently. And so we see even as Caesar was rounding up Christians and burning them alive in his garden just for light, rounding up Christians and feeding them to wild animals for the entertainment of the other citizens. We didn't see these early followers of the way uh, rise up in an army to try to take back their, their land and defeat Caesar. But their resistance was nonviolent. And even as they were experiencing some of these horrible things, they were known to face them with peace, even singing hymns as they were experiencing these horrible tragedies. It's not a very effective method of self-defense, I gotta tell you that. Like, they were not very good at self-preservation, those early followers of the way. But for them, they weren't even thinking about what they were accomplishing because all they knew was to walk the way. All they knew was to make bread like Jesus did and then let things happen. Jesus is the way. So what do we do with that? How do we process this? How do we focus on this different kingdom that's different but not detached? How do we walk in this way of Jesus that's different than, than the way maybe other people are approaching life around us? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, Paul gives us some good uh, wisdom in Colossians chapter three when he's writing to the church in Colossia who's dealing with some of these same questions. And he says this. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, so right there, just from the start, he's telling us if we're going to see the kingdom of God and walk in the kingdom of God, it's gonna take this conscious effort for us to choose to see through different lenses, to, to focus our hearts and focus our minds on different things than they're naturally drawn to. We're going to have to spend time to think and train ourselves to think about Jesus' things. He goes on, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderheartedness and mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So as he goes in there and he's telling us to put on all these virtues, right, and to soak ourselves in these virtues, the way at the end he comes around to talking about it is saying these are words of goodness that we need to speak to each other. We need to, to speak to each other words of the goodness of God and what God is like we need to be presenting to each other the goodness and the realities of what the kingdom of God is like when it looks different than everything we see swirling on around us. And he says that one of the ways we do that is we come together uh, in, our, in our worship gathering times and the songs we sing and the things we read and uh, the, the conversations we have, we are speaking the goodness of the kingdom of God to each other. So a couple weeks ago, 
when, when Aaron Equus came and led us in the examine, right, that we're reflect, choosing to reflect on our day through a position of gratitude. That is an act of setting our minds on things above. That is an act of recalibrating our hearts to the realities and goodness of God's kingdom, right? And when we come together and we read prayers and psalms together, that's not something I did like from my childhood background. We were more prayer was an expression, right? You told God how you felt all the time. Uh, But when we come and we read those things, those things are formative for us. They adjust our hearts, they recenter our minds, they refocus on the truth of who God is when we do those things. And when we come together and we sing these songs together as the team leads us, it's not just glorifying God, which I also believe it is, it's also singing truth to each other to remind ourselves about God's reality. One last aspect that Paul encourages to walk in is he talks to them and he says, follow me. Follow me in this. So his promise to them, uh, elsewhere he says, follow me as I follow Christ. His promise to them is that he is going to work his hardest to continue to focus his mind and refocus and recenter himself on the kingdom of God. And as he does that, if they turn to him and look to him, he will hopefully influence them and remind them also of where their focus can be. He's acknowledging the influence that we have in our world. So turning our minds to the kingdom of heaven away from the way the world normally works means thinking about our influencers a little bit. If we want to be influenced to the kingdom of God, we should have people that are influencing us in our life that that is how they are approaching their advice and their influence. But if we watch news programs all day with influencers that appeal, that appeal to the yeast of Herod to solve our world problems, then it's no wonder when our actions start to look a lot like Herod, right? And if we surround ourselves with people appealing to the yeast of the Pharisees, it's no surprise when we start acting pharisaical. We need to ask ourselves the directions we want to head Are we letting people into our lives to influence us in the same directions that we hope to go? The team's gonna come forward now. And as they do, they're gonna lead us out. And just what I said, this last song is a song that is a declaration of truth, that we get this chance to come together and be reminded of who God is. Because the kingdom of God is different than just the way the world normally works. And it's not the world plus a little bit of Jesus. It's something different, something deeper, something freer. And the kingdom of God needs pursued not in the ways we pursue other things, but only in the ways of Jesus. Let's be encouraged together. I've seen your name used as a weapon. I've seen your name used to wound. I've seen your words bent and twisted This God looks so unlike you All the law, all the prophets, everything you 
Your name is love. Your name is love. Your name is love. 
God bless you guys. Love you so much. Love your neighbors well tomorrow night for Halloween. We'll see you back here next week for First Tuesday time together. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great week.